There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. I have a sneaking suspicion this episode is going to get deep into the weeds, boys and girls. So for those of you that like a heady conversation on stuff that we don't get into terribly often on the pod, uh, this episode is the one for you. My guest is Mr. Jared Beck. I'm going to make sure I get the name of your company right. He is a co-founder of Risk Management Advisors, Inc., and he has brokerage but he's also involved in a big way of setting up alternative risk transfer programs, including captives. Jared, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. This is going to be a great conversation because you are an old pro with the interviews. Uh, You shared before we started recording that you've been on a lot of podcasts over the years, and this is a great way for uh, you to help educate uh, the listening audience. A lot of folks may not be terribly familiar with exactly how the captive world works. I've had a couple of other people in the, the ART or captive world on as guests, but we haven't really got too far into the weeds. We haven't talked a lot about the the logistics and the how and the why and whatnot. We stayed kind of 30,000 foot. So feel free to dig in wherever you feel so inclined. Just about everybody that listens to this pod uh, is on the retail side of distribution, but that's kind of where our guardrails are. You, you have all the freedom you want uh, there in the middle. So before we jump in to headier stuff, why don't you give us your backstory, man? Why, why in the world did you choose to go, not just insurance, but the deep end of the pool in insurance, doing some of the most complex, most difficult stuff in the risk management and insurance world? How did you get to that point in your career? Yeah, great question. So we actually started on the life insurance side. We were at Northwestern Mutual doing you know, life insurance planning and what I quickly realized was, you know, rather than working with individuals, we preferred working with businesses, business owners, um, you know, less kitchen table stuff, more, you know, sitting across the, uh, across the desk, helping them with their, their issues. Um, and so we got into corporate financial planning strategies, retirement plans, defined benefit plans, deferred comp, you name it, executive benefits, and, in the process of doing this and doing some planning for some some prospects and clients, we saw captive insurance companies cropping up, and you know more and more it was becoming something either business owners had or you know they wanted to see or wanted to learn more about. So you know, kind of the hallmark of our you know 
company and practice at the time was being creative, being, you know, exploratory, finding, you know, the new ideas. So that begged the question, you know, what are captives? How do they work? This was 2002, 2003. And, you know, we started exploring captives, looking at it from all different angles and we realized, man, what a awesome multifaceted tool that can help business owners in so many different ways. And so, you know, from that, you know, from that day on, we just, we decided to, to focus on it. Um, that led to us starting risk management advisors in 2004. Back then we were working primarily builders and developers. It was the housing boom, you mm-hmm. know, uh, houses getting built left and right. It's very difficult general liability insurance market. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember, but you know, I mean, there were contractors getting charged a million six for 2 million of coverage. So it's just very, very difficult insurance markets. Wow. Not a ton of extra, you know, ton of capital and profitability floating around right in that space. So we really cut our teeth on, on the home builder space that changed over time. Obviously the, the housing market crashed and it was pretty important that we diversify. Uh, yep. So now it's all different types of companies up and down, you know, staffing companies, manufacturing, healthcare, still builders, developers, contractors, property owners, uh, but really, you know, all different types of businesses who, want creative ways to, you know, approach their insurance or their risk management program. You know, they're doing it better than their competition. So they want an insurance program that meets that. And, you know, that, that's, that's what we spend our time working on. So when you decided, I want to go in this direction, help me understand what the rationale was. You, you said, I don't want the living room. I want the conference room. What was it about the the B2B kind of interaction that really attracted you? Because I, I feel exactly the same way. I'm not at all interested in doing individual or personal stuff. We don't sell homeowners or personal auto at risk while we're 100% focused on the needs of small and medium businesses and real estate investors of really any flavor. What, what was your take on steering your career in that direction? I think at least for my part, you know, more analytical does it make sense from a dollars and cents standpoint? And does it make sense from, you know, an ROI perspective, you know, some of the personal planning stuff, there's, you know, not the business planning can't be emotional or it isn't, but it's on, on the personal side, you know, there's more, you know, uh, protecting the family and, you know, some more emotions involved. I like the more analytical, you know, Hey, numbers look great. Concepts great. The creativity's there and everybody's excited about it really thriving on that kind of that like, Hey, wow, that's nobody showed me that before or, or nobody showed it to me that way. Let, let's, let's do it. So that's what we thrive on. And so for better, for better, for worse, it's closely held business owners, privately held, you know, family businesses, you know, sitting across the table from, you know, a fellow entrepreneur and, and, you know, just saying, Hey, can we put, put together a great strategy today? No, I, I love that approach because it is not predicated on selling a product. Your advice, your expertise, your professional problem-solving mindset is is the real value. Because, I mean, you can get a good insurance policy a lot of different places, but there's only one Jared Beck. And as you continued over the course of almost 20 years in this vertical, you just get better every year. You get more refined. You, your talking points, your your acumen. You go to conferences and sit in an advanced training, and over time, you become a legitimate, nationally recognized expert in alternative risk transfer. And you end up on a podcast like this, hearing questions from someone like me. So 
I, I love the approach, man. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in a little bit there. Yeah, um, sorry, you're about to say something. Yeah, and I'll just for, go for it. For what it's worth, I mean, that's we've enjoyed that too. In that, you know, now there's people out there that do captives, but you know, it's not like investment advisory or just if you're just doing regular brokerage where it's so competitive, right? Yeah. So I mean, you know, within the building I'm in, you know, there's probably two dozen investment advisors that are fighting for 401k, fighting for portfolios. I think the same is true in just you know, the regular insurance space. So yeah. for us, it's, you know, yeah, we have competition, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a narrow enough space where, you know, it's really just us doing a good job, you know, finding the right people. And even if it wasn't captive, we've always felt that was the important thing is, you know, like you said, I mean, you can buy policies from a lot of places, but you know, it's kind of a lot of the same policies these days. I mean, you know, markets have shrunk down. There's only so many carriers writing certain business. So it's, yep. you know, what's the creativity? What's the, you know, what's the differentiating factor? I mean, even service anymore is, that's tough because I mean, having oh, great man. service is table stakes. You know, you can't. You know, yeah, you can't, exactly. It used to be, you could differentiate that way. Like, oh, our service is so great. It's like, well, now if your service isn't great, you're probably out of business or, or, you know, working with, you know, tough insured. So anyways, I just, you know, I think that that differentiating factor for us has been awesome. When someone says it seriously, not sarcastically, oh, we, you should pick us because we give great service. We treat our clients like family. It's like, that's a little bit weird. I have a very small family. Oh, our clients are friends. It's like, really? Are they? Are they really? It's like, no, the distinguishing factor is you solve more creative, more complex problems. You help people get to their goals. You help them overcome obstacles. Like, that's what you do. And, and you know, just from looking at some of the content that you've put out, it's very clear that your messaging is aligned with the realization that the product doesn't really matter. It's the person behind the product. And that is the drum that I'm beating right now on the, on the retail PNC side. It's like, guys, we're in a really hard market, a historically hard market. If you're talking about product, you're going to lose more often than you win because there's nothing unique about your product. Sorry, folks. There's nothing unique about your service. Your service is just as good as five other shops within a mile or five miles of you, depending on where you are in the country. So then when it go, when we look at what you do, the actual like bucket that all of the stuff that you guys do is is mostly contained with them. A lot of it ends up being captives and other alternative risk transfer strategies. But well, let's get into just the nuts and bolts of the captive for a little bit because it's one of my biggest pet peeves when people refer to exclusive agents for like farmers, state farm, all state, whatever. It's like, oh, a captive agent is like. See, now when we use the word captive as it's intended to be used, calling yourself a captive agent is confusing as hell to half the marketplace. <laughs> so, I was, And I always have to take a look in those situations. Like, are they asking about, you know, my, by, you know, being a captive agent, you know, with like a farmers or, or Northwestern for that, you know, for that matter where I started. Yeah. Um, yeah. Know, or, hey, are we looking to talk about captive insurance companies? Um, you know, obviously yeah. two very different, different things. So. And I love using the word exclusive agent. It, it's just, let's save the word captive for what it actually is, a captive, as in a self-contained little bucket of coverage and all the things. Let's get into that for just a little bit here, because there's a few different versions of captives. If you can 
go high level for just a second, and then we're going to dig into some specific use cases of yep. what you see. Maybe tell a story or two of, hey, in this situation, this is the sort of thing that we did. And you don't have to get too far into the secret sauce because obviously you have some trade stuff that you have unique to your shop, and it's, there's a lot of value there. But in a high level, why don't you break down some of the, the buckets of types of captives and when they're appropriate? Yeah, you bet. So, so first and foremost, for those who you know may not be familiar, so a captive, as we're discussing it, is it's basically an insurance company that a business or a group of businesses form to insure their own risks. So, you know, the, the idea of captive is you know it's captive to you and your family of companies or or those participating in you know in that particular captive program. So. You know, at that point, the uninitiated will often be like, oh, you mean like self-insurance? It's like, well, yeah, it's like self-insurance, except that it's a formalized version of doing self-insurance, where we're actually going to the regulators in a given state or jurisdiction, setting up a new corporation and getting it licensed as an insurance company. Yep. So, um, so again, a f- very formalized version of doing the, the self-insurance. Um, the reasons for doing that, there's, there's a handful of them. We'll run through them. Um, you know, first off being an insurance company, if I'm setting aside reserves, if I'm putting money aside to pay potential claims, I'm going to do some form of self-insurance. If I just do it on my balance sheet in a checking account, in a slush fund, then that money is not tax deductible. So to set aside Simple math to set aside a million bucks, I would have to actually make two million because I have to pay tax and then set the money aside. When you do it in the insurance company, you get to put money into reserves for those potential claims, and then so you're getting the, the tax benefit of setting up, you know, of ha- of having that insurance company tax treated. Yep, the and then you get to act like an insurance carrier and earn interest on every dollar sitting in that reserve fund. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the easiest place to look is like if you go to the Berkshire Hathaway annual reports, Warren Buffett, you know, he talks about that extensively, right? Just the ability to have money in reserves and I'm investing at the pre-tax level as opposed to the after-tax level. So yeah, that's, you hit the nail on the head there. Other benefits is insurance companies can buy reinsurance. So reinsurance, insurance for insurance companies can access the reinsurance market where, you know, if I'm just doing self-insurance or, you know, traditional, you know, commercial stuff, I, I can't do that. So those are, you know, kind of some of the benefits. There's more, but those are some of the main ones. And then people are getting into it for a couple different reasons. So one, they might be looking at their workers' comp or their general liability auto, you know, and saying, man, I pay a lot of premium here. My losses are good. You know, for some reason I'm getting, you know, I'm subsidizing the, you know, the everybody else's bad loss experience or, you know, the hard markets hitting me, you know, in a disproportionate way. And I want to recoup some of that underwriting profit, figure out a way to get, you know, get some of that money back in my pocket. And I'm willing to put skin in the game to do it. You know, I don't just, you know, I don't want just, you know, I don't, I'm not demanding cheaper insurance or a cheaper quote. I'm willing to yeah. put, you know, chips on the table and, and, you know, get after some underwriting profit. And I, I love it from the the conversation level because 
One, you have to have the conversation or else your competition is going to bring it up. And it's it's this game of whoever brings it up first gets credit for bringing it up. And every other person who brings it up after the first person, that insured, that, that business owner, that board member is going to go, oh, yeah, that's the same thing that Jerry was talking about a couple of months ago. You don't get credit for it if you're not the first one to bring it up. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's very true. And that's really changed in, in a real way. So when we first got into the captive business, we, it was almost like it was an adversarial relationship with, you know, with, with the brokers out there. They thought, oh, if my client's doing a captive, that means they've replaced all my policies and you know, there's, you know, I'm not needed. My commissions are less. There, there's no broker which actually couldn't be further from the truth. So we're we're captive managers. We set up the captive. We do the administration. We help with the strategy, but, you know, we don't do, you know, the service, the service we were talking about, the great service that everybody has to have, you know, we're not built to issue issue the certificates of insurance and, and do all of the, you know, put in the safety programs and and do all the, you know, the value added stuff that, you know, that, that all the brokers are required to do. Yep. And we don't do, you know, we don't do policy placements, you know, just because some stuff goes into the captive doesn't mean, you know, all of a sudden everything goes into the captive. You're still going to have a number of policies you have to place in the, tra- the traditional market. Um, and you know, and and let's pl- let's just pause there for a second, because I know and when I was learning about all this stuff about 18 months ago, I really made an effort to get familiar with the basic concepts and structures of all of this stuff. It was totally foreign to me at the time. Well, how does this work? Like, what's the basic structure? One, one of the pieces of this captive is now topics like an A and B layer and a fronting paper and reinsurance and all of those things are are pretty common in my brain. But some of the things that the listeners are probably thinking right now is, well, what goes in a captive? Do we stick a regular insurance policy in a different wrapper and stick it inside of a captive and call it call it even? In what do we put in there? Is it all lines of business? Are some lines of business better than others to belong in a captive? Or is anything just outright, nope, never going to put that in a captive because it's too loss prone? Uh, talk about that for a second, if you don't mind. Yeah, you need to identify the lines of coverage where you have the critical mass of premium. So, you know, if somebody comes in, they're like, ah, oh, my auto insurance, you know, my business auto went from, you know, 10,000 to 15,000. Let's put it in the captive and, and say, all right, well, hey, it stinks that your premium went up, but is it really worth taking all the risk on your auto liability to save 15,000? That's a simplified example, but I mean, the, you know, the answer is you yeah. typically no. So you want to identify those lines of coverage where, you know, it, it's the big ticket items. So if you think about like a staffing company, it's going to be, you know, you're talking about workers comp. Why? Because the payroll's high. Uh, if yep. you're looking at builders and developers, contractors, could be workers comp. It's also going to be your general liability because they've got, you know, all these, you know, long tail, you know, obligations. Completed so ops be, exposures for multiple yeah, years. Yeah, completed and all ops that. exposure. Yeah. I mean, we're here in California, 10 yeah. year statute of repose, right? So you've got, you know, you've got all that, you know, all that liability, which leads to, you know, leads to bigger premiums. So bigger premiums. But then if you're talking to guys that are, you know, again, doing it better than their competition, you know, lower losses. Now you've got some of the ingredients for good captive play. So, and then there's different types of captives. So there's individual or single parent captives where it's one company setting up the captive for just their risks. And for those to make sense, you know, on those bigger premiums, 
you know, you want the premium to be, let's say a million and above. And that's not a hard and fast rule, but you know, yeah. just, just to give an idea, it's going to be a bigger insurance buyer. Um, yeah. And, and typically there's going to be a capitalization requirement, right? Someone has to seed the reserve fund in order to pass the regulators, you know, blessing, right? Correct. Correct. So, so yeah, it's going to be a bigger company with a bigger insurance spend and, and they'll be able to you know, capitalize that, that risk. The other, you know, the other type of captives and you mentioned it, a fund, B fund, et cetera, is a, is a group captive. And that's where, you know, a group of companies, let's just say 10 or more have come together and they're pooling premium to create that critical mass to allow them to set up a captive to, again, you know, pay this premium in, take some level of, you know, risk within the captive and then hopefully have money left over, you know, at the end of the day to get paid back, to get paid back dividends. And that's going to be your insurance buyers. That's when it, you know, it slides down more if you've got, you know, workers comp, GL, auto, you know, in that, you know, three to 400, 500,000 type of range, then you're looking at more ideal candidates for, for group captive structures. Um, you know, maybe not big enough to justify doing it on their own, but, you know, yeah. finding a group or coming together with a group, um, you can, you can get it done. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who is it, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. So one of the things we run into probably most often, we do a lot of stuff with real estate investors and commercial and residential both. A property-heavy captive is extremely rare. It's a unicorn if it even exists anywhere. I'm not aware of a, a single one that, that we've been able to locate. What is it about property specifically that makes it such a poor fit for a captive strategy? So the poor fit aspect of property for captives, and this could actually be a public service announcement for everybody to save save time and energy, is you know the property market is very difficult. Premiums are high, right? So a normal captive solution, you would come in and you would say, well, hey, let me take some of the risk. Why don't I take the first $2 million of any claim that comes down the road, $1 million, whatever, whatever that number is. And in other lines of coverage in workers' comp, that works perfect. You take on that first dollar risk, keep your losses low, run a safe shop, and then you get to keep the spoils. But in property, it's completely opposite. So we've talked to a lot of underwriters and the reason it's difficult is, you know, okay, you say, Hey, I'll take the first, you know, again, million, half million, whatever. They said that that's fine, but I need the premium in house because when that building falls down, when it actually does happen, it's rare, but when it does happen, it doesn't matter whether you took 500,000 or whatever, because we're upside down multiple millions of dollars and it'll take, you know, it's going to take us a long time to recoup that. So yeah. 
the premium increases are tied up in the catastrophe, not the working layer. And there's very few people, you know, that are going to sit, you know, want to play in hundreds of millions of you know, dollars of catastrophic layers in, in property. So hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. And we've looked at it, we've looked at it a lot. And there are some retention programs out there and some things you can do, but it's got to be really, you know, really, really sizable. Where captives can work great on property is for existing exposures. And what I mean by that is, you know, here in California, we have a lot of property portfolios. They don't have earthquake coverage. They just yep. can't get it. Right. So X or earthquake. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Or maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's like it, it's X wind on the coast. You know, I, we're in Texas and we're at a lot of, you know, tier one counties. So X something always creates lots of little problems we have to navigate. So is that something that a, a captive could potentially happen to, to help with if there is some sort of carve out for particular perils? Exactly. Yeah. So in, you know, yeah, South coast, you know, Gulf coast, uh, you know, East coast, then it's, yeah, it's your flood, it's your wind driven rain. It's your, it's your storm where you've got these big deductibles, these big co-insurance amounts. And yeah, I mean, we're you know, really smart business owners coming in and saying, okay, well, if this happens, let's say one property partnership gets slammed. Okay. Now all my investors are, you know, in that particular partnership are going to get, you know, are going to get hosed. So they set up the captive structure and then they charge premiums for those catastrophic exposures, but it's the deductible level that already exists. So it doesn't necessarily provide premium relief or cost savings, but as far as setting up reserves and, you know, to, to protect the properties, to protect the investments against the catastrophic losses, it makes, that makes a ton of sense. No, absolutely. And it's, Folks, Freedom Jump right there. The thing that I want to leave you with is we're, we're getting pretty far into the weeds here. Think of this captive as just another tool in your toolbox. You don't have to fully understand exactly how all these pieces go together. You just have to be thinking about opportunity and thinking about when do I come across the right uh, prospect or client profile? I have shared openly on this podcast about how I lost one of my best accounts, top 10 account last year, um, simply because I didn't bring up the captive solution first. There was a, a, an office who was prospecting my account and talked to them about a potential captive. Their total spend between GL and work comp was about 400000 and I simply didn't bring it up fast enough. I knew about captives. I understood them at a, at a high level of a concept, but I didn't understand them well enough to bring it up in conversation because I didn't want to get caught with the oopsie of the insured asking a question I didn't know the answer to. What Jared and his team are doing for you guys is bridging the knowledge gap and helping you identify those opportunities and then just bring in the partner because Jared and his team are going to set up the captive. They're going to do the feasibility study. They're going to do all the preliminary stuff. Obviously, you have your typical discovery work, but Jared and his team make the process of identifying those opportunities and actually getting legs underneath of them much easier. You know, Jared, talk for just a little bit about how you guys are partnering with retail agents, taking it by the hand and saying, all right, let me show you how this is going to go. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what you need to do with your prospect. And then here's what we're going to help you with. Yeah. And those are, you know, whereas it used to be 
adversarial working with the PNC brokerage community for the reasons I said. Now, those are typically our best cases. So, yep. you know, it's, it's kind of exactly what you said is you know, they don't know, you know how the watch works necessarily, but, you know, when they have the clients that whose premiums are escalating or whose you know, the companies are growing fast and the premiums are growing, you know, right along with it, then, you know, they're saying, you know, hey, have you looked at captives, thought about captives? And then, you know, they're coming to us, you know, it's the, hey, I got a guy discussion and, you know, talking about, you know, this is our client, this is our prospect, you know, and this is the, you know, basic exposure data, you know, and then we go through it together. And then, you know, if there's legs there, then we come up with a game plan to, you know, share the ideas with, uh, you know, with, with the client or prospect and, you know, have that conversation around, you know, this is the benefits of captives and this is how it could, you know, this is how it could help you out. And then, you know, we work on it together. They do the brokerage, we do the captive design and hopefully putting together some really nice programs for clients. And once you get in there with the captive and then you're doing the PNC, you know, you're doing the brokerage work, you know, some of our people we work with, they're doing the brokerage PNC side and, you know, we'll cross over into the medical side of the equation, which you can you do. And then you've got the captive in there. It becomes super sticky, uh, you know, business, right? I mean, you're not, you know, it's not as simple as a BOR. It's not as simple as service or certs or anything like that. It's, you know, it's, it's much more, much more integrated. Um, and, and those, those end up being the best clients. Well, my favorite part about the, the whole conversation is you're telling them up front, look, the fee structure, the way that the costs are built in for setting up a captive, it's front loaded. The first two or three years, you're probably not going to see any profits spun out from this captive. But if you run a clean shop in year four and year five and year six, oh man, now we're cooking with fire and everything looks substantially different than the traditional insurance marketplace. Now, talk, talk for just a second, Jared, if you don't mind, about exactly what the retail agent brings to the table. Because one of the confusing parts for me when I was learning all this stuff a couple of years ago was the concept of fronting paper and where was the insurance carrier actually getting involved with? Where does the captive come in? Where does the fronting carrier come in? Like, how do the nuts and bolts of the actual insuring agreements happen? Yeah, so good, good question. So for the audience, so a fronting carrier is basically an A-rated carrier that will issue a policy. So you know, the client gets you know, A-rated insurance policy, but they're actually not taking the risk. So the captive behind it, captive operating as a reinsurer behind the fronting company is taking the risk, paying the dollars for the claims, but it's you know, that's in the, in the background. And the reason a fronting carrier is important, if you're dealing with, you know, in manufacturing companies, contractors, you know, they've got requirements as a, you know, to have a rated paper for their certificates of insurance could be for the bank, could be for the GC, you know, whoever, you know, the requiring party is, if you show up with XYZ captive insurance company, they're you know, like, all right, Hey, what, you know, what is this? This doesn't meet our requirements. So there's carriers out there, they'll just, you know, for a fee, they'll rent out their paper and issue the policy, but it's the, you know, it's the captive in the background that's, that's paying the losses. So, um, and that, that can be a collaborative effort. So, you know, we have the ability to go get fronting carriers or a lot of times it's, you know, the broker will come in and they'll be, you know, they'll be placed with a carrier 
fully insured, regular, you know, traditional marketplace coverage, but that carrier also has a department that does fronting. So we'll say, hey, you've got the relationship with this carrier. You know, like Chubb's a good example, Zurich. Well, let's tell them to get their captive counterpart on the phone and then let's talk about a fronting relationship. Hmm. And that's typically the broker steering that because they've got the, they're the BOR on, on those particular policies. So, hmm. yeah. Kind of like when you get your, uh, your really upstanding and trustworthy friend to vouch for you when you say that you slept over at his house when instead you were actually out at a party with your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's what the fronting carrier does. Is, yeah. so, <laughs> So they tell everybody else, hey, this is this is going to be fine. You know, whatever's going on. It's a, uh, everybody be cool. Be cool. It's okay. Yeah. Whatever's yeah. going on in the background, that's between the captive and the fronting carrier. Um, yeah. and, and for that reason, they will typically, you know, that's why the premium needs to be of a certain level because, you know, fronting carriers, they don't want to take any risk. So, you know, there needs to be either through excess or through cash in the captive enough money to cover that loss. Um, or those losses. So, you know, that's you know, where you get into the whole analysis and figure out, all right, you know, how much money is this going to cost and does it make sense? But, but yeah, you're exactly right. The fronting carrier says to everybody, Hey, this is fine. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of on them in the background to make sure the structure sound, you know, working with the brokers and, and us. Love it. So what are great opportunities out there in the marketplace? Maybe it's a niche vertical, maybe it's a line of business. You mentioned general liability and workers' compensation before. So is what I've heard in the past and what I've just carried around in my brain, feel free to debunk this myth if I'm wrong, is when you're thinking about a, a group captive, you should be thinking $250,000 in uh, a line of business is kind of that target threshold that you need to be above for it to start to make sense or a combination of those core lines of business like general liability and work comp together adding up to 250 or more. And then single parent, like you said, is probably starting around a million depending on the, the individual use case, of course. Uh, is, is that about right or do you want to put different numbers out there for retailers to be thinking about? No, I think that's great. I mean, I think those are good guideposts. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be hard and fast rules, but you know, certainly good, you know, a good you know starter guide. The other thing to look at is, you know, hey, there's the premium aspect, but how, how's this group really doing? You know, how how are the losses? Like, so we'll get calls for captives. Oh my God, I pay so much. I'm paying a million for my workers' comp, and then you know we get the losses, and you know they're at a million one, million two in losses. The mods through the roof. And it's like, well, if you set up a captive to pay a dollar in and then pay a dollar back out, like, you know, all you're going to end up doing is paying us fees and you're not really going to get ahead. So it's, you know, yeah. hey, you need to work on your safety. Do some loss control first Do and then come back to us a year or two from now. Control. Yeah. And then that can actually be a good time once you've done the work, done the loss control to then go in and take the risk because the carrier is not going to give you, you know, your carrier is not going to give you money back. So like if you do have your loss control in place, it can make sense to go take that, that risk. But, you know, that, that, that needs to be done first and foremost. So I'd say, you know, consider that. That'll save you time going back and forth. The other opportunities out there, I'll, I'll, I'll just drop a few that you may not have thought of. So excess layers are also a difficult market in, you know, in the again, construction, manufacturing, you know, real estate space. You know, you've got excess layers that, you know, are in some instances approaching being as expensive as the primary layers, right? We didn't used to, we didn't used to see that. As a result, there's actually captive solutions that can help people, help business owners get half of their excess premium back. 
if they have clean if they have clean years. So simple example, we, had, we were just talking to a contractor. He's paying nine hundred thousand for that first five million of excess, and through the captive program, if he has a clean year, he's going to get he'll get in terms of dividends, underwriting profit, four hundred and fifty thousand back into his captive through hmm. the you know, through the structure. So yeah. there's there's reinsurance on the back end. So you know it's going to be your good size insurance, but if you have if you're looking for something to talk about with the uh, you know that bigger prospect or those bigger companies, um, you know that's that's a winner all all day long. Anybody with collateral, there's collateral relief programs. You know, so you know you go high deductible, you end up with you know different layers of collateral. Um, you know, there's a great company out there that's you know providing collateral relief, which frees up money to to go into the captive. You know, another another good solution. That's the 1970 group. I don't know if you've checked them out, but you know, might be worth putting a link to that in the, in the show notes. But I mean, these are, you know, these are good wedge ideas. If you're you know looking to get in there and, and prospect with people, you know, and stuff they haven't heard before, those are, those are some of the things that are out there that are hot right now. Love it. Now you're just dropping gold nuggets there at the end uh, of the episode. So Jared, uh, if, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's one, what's your preferred social platform? It's probably LinkedIn, if I had to guess. And two, where should they go as far as engaging with you guys or talking about potential engagement to have you guys help them out with looking into whether a prospect is a good fit for a captive or not? Yeah, certainly LinkedIn's an easy way to connect with me. And then we just redid our website, tons of new, you know, good starter kit information on there. That's riskmgmtadvisors.com. Uh, you can also, uh, great YouTube channel with all of our videos, the entire library there. And then Facebook, Instagram too, but uh, website and, and YouTube the best way. The final question I have is in regards to your role as a, a board member of the University of California's system, uh, decided to, to put a captive together and you were asked to serve as a board member of that captive to advise on any number of subjects the UC system would find necessary and relevant. In your role as someone who is in charge of making sure that the captive does what it's supposed to do over a long period of time. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see policyholders making and maybe a mistake that you see representation, like the insurance broker or someone who's involved on our side of the process? What are some things that you could provide insight on from the perspective of a captive director? Yeah, so the, the mistake I see a lot and... And so participating on the UC captive, it's been a, it's, it's been a great you know, joy. They did set up the captive and they needed independent directors and they wanted people that had ties to the system. So, you know, I went to UC, you know, I went to a UC school and then, you know, they were also excited that, you know, me and my partner actually knew how this stuff worked. So we were the kind of the unicorns to, uh, you know, kind of come in there and then participate at, at a board level. And, so they actually avoided the mistake that a lot of people make. So when they started, for a while they did nothing, and there was a lot of conversation about well, what do we, you know, what do we do, you know. But once they finally settled on something, it was, it was let's start with the workers' comp, and that laid the foundation for them to, you know, get the program going. And now, if you look at it, if you look at the lines of coverage that it writes, there's very few lines of coverage that it doesn't touch within the university system. So hmm. I mean, probably 30, 35 different lines of coverage within the captive 
all in service of, of the university and helping them stabilize, lower, you know, and maintain good, steady insurance spend. Captive of the year several times. And, you know, they, they, they do a great job. So, and again, what they did was, you know, starting with one thing and then using that as a springboard to, to get to others. So the mistake I'll see is, you know, somebody could do a captive for one thing, but not everything they had in mind. So they say, oh, yeah. well, if I can't have, if I can't have all my toys at once, then this doesn't make sense for me. And well, and I would imagine, you know, it's a fairly common thing for someone to miss a piece. It was like, oh, I thought that was in the captive. No, that's not in the captive. You have to write that on your own outside. And where the, the retailer is coming back later and fixing a little oopsie from time to time, right? Yeah. Or, you know, we'll just get, or, you know, simple example, we'll get people come in and they say, well, I just, I don't want to pay premiums to the traditional market anymore. It's like, all right, well, that might be an option for you one day, just not today. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you, know, you have to build to it, but if you don't start building, then you're never going to get there. So there's the people who kind of like throw it all out if they can't have everything at once. Yeah. Then there's the flip side, you know, we'll, we'll talk with employers or companies and they actually can do quite a few different things. You know, they can do the PNC, workers' comp, GL, medical. You know, you can you, know, you can get into all this stuff, but then they take on too much right off the bat, and then it starts distracting from you know their day job, what they do best, and then yeah. you know you know mistakes can occur. So we like to do things in phases. You know, like hey, let's phase one, phase two, phase three, and let's you know tackle it over a you know over a period of you know, months or years. And then, you know, have a smooth glide path. And then, you know, then you get down the road and you're like, yeah, we, now we've got a program that does everything we want it to. Man, I love it. Yeah. Don't throw the baby out with the bath water, but also don't, you know, bite off more than you can, can choose. So, Jared, as we land this plane right here, is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to or any final thoughts that uh, we, uh, we haven't shared with the audience yet? No, it's been a great discussion. You know, I think, you know, we talked about using this as a, you know, for brokers, I, I use it, you know, kind of the way you unfortunately lost that case, right? As somebody got in there, they used it as a, as a wedge and, you know, whether they ended up using the captive or not, right? It, it, it worked. And so that's yep. definitely something we can see. And I would encourage your audience to, to take that approach. We're here for that conversation. And, you know, we covered some of the great strategies out there. So I, I think we hit on all of them. Love it. Now, it's a, I definitely recommend for those of you that aren't already working with a captive administrator or a captive consultant, you know, reach out to Jared Beck. We'll put his information there in the show notes. Uh, hit him up on LinkedIn. Uh, that's what I did. And here we are. So he is Jared Beck, co-founder of Risk Management Advisors in California. And this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. 
This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60-second commercial. But you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high-quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you, and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland, and we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to ten carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.